Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. Got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about ways to give a true full apology. Uh, we're going to be tackling this one differently. We've talked about that before, but we're going to be looking at it a little differently and then also talking about how to get the kind of eroticism that you want. But these kinds of things apply to everyone in in multitude of contexts and in a lot of relationships. And that's what I love about these topics. Very applicable to a lot of different domains and areas of our life. So definitely stick around for all that. And of course, we'll be doing those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page in the DMs. A couple things in the news I wanted to kind of bring up, you know, mental health related a uh, new campaign all about this, and it's really seeking to normalize uh, eroticism and pleasure later in life between elder elder individuals. I think it's phenomenal. Uh, we need more intimacy now more than ever. Ageism runs rampant, and we still have messaging implying that you know younger bodies are better, younger bodies are more desirable, younger bodies are more energized, and we have, as I've always said, this decline narrative around aging when, in fact, that's just not true. Aging affords you, well, number one, it's a gift. Not everyone actually is gifted the opportunity to get older, right? doesn't happen for everyone. Not everyone lives a long life. So that's, there's something really beautiful in that. Also, as you get older, the hope is that you've moved towards more meaning and purpose in your life, more authenticity, and it's you're having more of an honest life. You're surrounded more by the people you actually want to be surrounded by, right? You're also having more honest relationships and eroticism. That's the goal, more confidence and comfort in your body, caring less about trends and what other people want. Aging can really provide a lot of those benefits, the wisdom of having spent more time here and having had more experiences. And again, we know cross-culturally, other cultures really value that wisdom. And in America, we tend to not. We're very polarized. We really shame youth and we really shame older age. Although we value youth in a lot of ways, we also put it down. We don't give children rights. We don't honor their boundaries. So it's really that middle phase that we really start to respect an individual for who they are. We take advantage of the older and also the younger. It's kind of a mess, uh, but a new campaign seeks to really change that. Um, I think this is really great. So this organization has teamed up with photographers to celebrate sex and intimacy in later in life. The campaign's told, let's talk about the joy of later life sex. And it shows older individuals in different stages of intimacy, showing their bodies and pleasure. Um, you know, and it's, it's pretty safe for work. It's not, you know, in any way adult material per se. And, uh, really trying to just get people familiar and reduce the stigma. And I think that's beautiful. These photos are actually really really sweet. And, and as I'm looking at them, I can feel the love. And that's what you hope for the older, older ages 
in the world is that they can kind of move towards achievement of who they really were want, you know, who they were really were wanting to be and who they are. I love that. Um, I'm not sure if we talked about this. I was looking at Huffington Post. They put out a map and on the map they showed the hourly income you need to afford rent around the U.S. Quite disturbing and heartbreaking when you look at what the minimum wages are in some of these places and how much you would need to make an hour to actually afford an apartment. One of the most profound ones for me was Hawaii. Hawaii, I think they said that they're, yeah, Hawaii, minimum wage is 10 bucks, $10.10. But you need to make at least $38.76 an hour to be able to rent a two-bedroom there. So if you are a parent, right? You're a single mom, single dad, married couple, doesn't matter. If you live alone, yes, a one bedroom's cheaper. Not saying you could even afford that. But uh, if you want a two bedroom, 38 bucks an hour, you'd have to be making not 10, the minimum wage. And it kind of goes through all of it. California, you'd be needing to make 36 bucks if you're a family of more than one individual and need a two bedroom. I mean, it's really heartbreaking. Uh, the highest fees, I believe, are, well, right here, it's Hawaii followed by California. Now, this is on average, but yeah, the minimum wage has not kept up with inflation, which is what people are really complaining about. Um, everything else has. Prices keep going up, but yet minimum wage has not. And that's something we keep pushing for. Everyone has a right to be able to get their basic needs met, e whether they're working or not. I don't agree that as long as you're out there working, you know, every human being, by the virtue of being human, should have access to food, shelter, and income. I, I don't care if they're working. We need to be taking care of individuals. Homelessness is a failure of society, not the individual. We've let them down. We've not been able to figure out how to let them meaningfully participate and live on the planet. Um, that that's a failure. People that are hungry, that's a failure again on society. We should be finding ways to make sure everyone's getting fed. It's disgusting. Um, so it's not a failure of the individual. It's a failure of the system. And if you really look at people that are um, without homes and you listen to their stories, you know, we know that the highest rate of youth homelessness is LGBT community. They are the individuals that the highest rate of youth homelessness is gay individuals, gay and trans individuals. Um, again, that's a systemic uh, failure because those individuals have dealt with transphobia and homophobia in their families and in school, and that's often why they're homeless and have higher rates of suicidality, right? So there's systemic causes of this. We also know about racism. I mean, we have to look into why, why that is, but you know, part of stop starting to change that is also raising the minimum wage and better services, which is why people talk about defunding the police is to distribute some of that finances towards resources and kind of helping the local community so their needs are getting met. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to be talking about ways to give a better apology, looking at intent and impact, and uh, then DMs, and then how to get the kind of sexuality you want. If you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, as always, go over to wearechannelq.com, scroll down, look for my face, click on it, bam, there they are. Post, share, binge. Stick around, we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about how to give good apologies, mindful apologies, probably one of the cornerstones of uh, conflict resolution, but any single relationship you're a part of. Issues are going to come up. People are going to let us down. Conflict arises. I say this all the time when uh, working with an individual or a couple, any kind of relational space and someone says, oh, you know, this person let me down or they disappointed me or even they broke my trust. Often there's this follow-up question, which is, Dr. Chris, how will I ever learn to trust them again? And I say, well, they're going to let you down hundreds more times. That's part of the human condition, right? And so trust can't, trust can sometimes be based on the actual 
specificity of, of, of what let you down and, and what that showed you about them. Like there's, uh, you know, some truth in that, but more so a lot of the letdowns or frustrations or breaches of trust are lower level. And so what it really becomes about is not how will I trust them again, but more about how well are we able to apologize, repair, and take accountability, knowing that there's more of that to come. When someone forgets someone's birthday, that, that shouldn't be um, something that you know ends a relationship. It should be something that's a letdown, a disappointment. You know, and that's kind of, well, let me start this way. So there's a difference between something that's unjust, uh, something that's a disappointment, and something that's a frustration. And we talked about this months ago on one of the shows. And I think it's really important to understand the distinctions. If something's unjust, you call it out. Please step in. You know, I think of the uh, bystanders uh, for George Floyd that stuck around and filmed. I think about the allies that see a cop stopping a black individual and they pull over or they stay on the street until the cop pulls away. That's called being a good ally. I think of the people that step in when they see someone doing a hate crime or attacking someone out of homophobia or transphobia. We need to step in when we see an injustice. It is your business. You are responsible for those around you. That is how we act as allies. You can't say you're all about ending racism and then saying, but I'm not gonna do anything about it by stepping in. Yeah, you have to, right? There's the individual level and then there's the macro level. It can't just be all about waiting for institutional and systemic changes. That's gonna take some time. There are real events happening on your block, in your house, down the street, at school, at your job site that need you to step in now. It can't be, oh, well, we'll wait until a few laws are passed or da 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 da. No, that's how you be a good ally. So if there's an unjust thing happening, speak up, step in. But you have to decipher the difference between if what happened was something unjust or if you were just disappointed or frustrated, right? If someone forgets your birthday, that's not an issue of justice, that's a disappointment. And disappointments and frustrations are dealt with from a different perspective. We sometimes let it go. Oftentimes disappointments really bring us back to this core idea of, is it about me wondering or, or is it about me thinking that maybe this person doesn't love me? Because if I know that they do love me, but yes, they disappointed me by forgetting my birthday, let it go, let it go. We have to, we have to give people a break. People have their lives in motion while our lives are in motion. And you can't be frustrated that someone didn't follow up, reach out. You don't know what was going on in their day that might've been a bigger priority. Frustrations are the same way. I can be in line at the coffee shop and frustrated by what's going on at the barista, but I let it go. There's not, and nothing unjust happened, nothing oppressive or violent. I'm practicing letting go, right? And sometimes that's a solution. But sometimes the healing, the trust is built in how the other deals with or shows up or does the repair around them frustrating or disappointing us. You know, we someone is made safe again or rebuilds trust when they take accountability. We can't kick people out of our lives for the smallest infractions. We can't kick people out of our lives for disappointing us because then we're always gonna be on our own because all relationships and those that love us will at times disappoint and frustrate us. We do have to allow for that, but we do also get to demand or expect apologies and healing, right? Um, <clears throat> but we have to both be on the same team. We have to be willing to hear that and receive that. And that's what's hard for some people is when they feel as though they're the injured party or the victim, they sometimes aren't willing to do their part. And when we're in a loving relationship with a friend, a family member, right? Or a husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or a partner. Yeah, 
we want to be on their side. We want to be on the side of our relationship. We want to be on the side of healing. And so we don't want to make it impossible or difficult for this person to truly and authentically do the work that they're trying to do. So I love the initial framework of if, if it's an injustice, handle it, get loud, speak up. If it's a frustration, disappointment, sometimes let it go. But before we even get into how do we really give a good apology in a way that shows that we are mature enough and healthy enough to be kept around, right? Um, I want to start by just talking about intent and impact. We've really normalized this idea that all that matters is intention. And that if someone didn't mean it or says, I didn't mean it, that resolved, case closed. But impact matters too. Let me give you a little example. If I'm standing beside or behind your car, okay, and you do not intentionally or meaningfully, uh, well, I just kind of made that difficult to complete the sentence. If I'm standing next to or behind your car and you back over my foot, you drive over my foot or my toes, and you didn't intend to, you didn't mean to, you didn't want to, right? What's the first thing you do when you get out of the car after hearing me scream and you realize you ran over my toes? Do you say, I didn't mean it, let it go? Or is the first thing you do is to deal with the impact and say, oh my God, are you all right? Do you need any help? Can I walk you to a chair? Do you need me to take you to the hospital? I'm gonna guess if you're a good person with empathy, you don't go to intent first, which is I didn't mean it. I'm gonna assume you go to impact first, which is before I even get into whether or not I meant to do that, someone got harmed and I need to deal with the impact and consequences of what I've done. Let me give you another example. If you unintentionally swing around quickly and spill coffee on someone at a coffee shop or inintentionally bump into someone to make them spill their own coffee, what's your first statement? I hope again, as a healthy individual, I hope your first statement is, oh my gosh, are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you need a napkin? Do you need a new coffee? I hope you go to that first and not, I didn't mean to do it and then just walk out of the store, right? When I give those examples, it's pretty reasonable to assume that the person is gonna step into the impact first. All right, we gotta take a little break. When we can come back, we're gonna keep talking about how to give a mindful apology. Listening to Loveline on the new channel Q and on Odyssey and radio. All right, we're back. And before the break, we were talking about giving apologies, talking about how those in our lives that we care about are gonna let us down and disappoint us. And we have to be open to reconciliation and healing, right? We have to be both on the same side. It can't be, you know, you let me down or disappointed me. And so there's no work for me to do. I'm just the victim. Well, you might be on the receiving end, thereby we call you the receiver, right? And maybe you were victimized, but usually it's not a matter of using terms like victimization. It's just a disappointment of frustration. We don't want to catastrophize it or dramatize it. And you got to be on the side of repair. Like we should all be involved in that. Like, yeah, you let me down. I can calmly and lovingly share that with you and help you be a part of healing that. But I wanted to just cover this idea of intent versus intention. Uh, I'm sorry, intent versus impact, because that comes up a lot where people will within couples dynamics say, but I didn't mean it. And they want that prioritized. And that's really offensive and hard for the person who might've been harmed to hear because you're completely ignoring that whether or not you intended to, harm was done, someone was let down, disappointed, frustrated, and you're not even 
empathetically attending to that, which makes you seem cold and hard and unsafe. And I was saying, if you bump into someone and, you, and you're part of them spilling their coffee on them because you bump into them, I would hope your first thought is, are you okay? Can I get you napkins? Do, do, you want, do you want me to get you a new coffee? I hope you go to the impact first. Just like I said, if you ran my feet over, whether you meant to or not, I'd hope you first would say, are you okay? Do you need me to help you sit down? Can I get you some ice? Versus saying, I didn't mean it. And then you just walk away. That, that says to me, this person isn't empathetic, this person isn't safe, and this person takes no accountability. So do go to the accountability first, deal with the impact. I'm really sorry I spilled coffee on you. Attend to that first. And then to heal the relationship, you can then say, I, I hope you understand, or can I please explain that I did not intend for that to happen. That's the relational piece, but that's after we deal with the consequences of the impact. We have to start there first. So catch yourself. If you want to just be let off the hook by the fact that you didn't mean it, it's not big enough. It's not good enough because even with the best intentions, you'll sometimes create harm and you have to help clear up, clean up and resolve that harm, right? When we find out that we might've misused a word that's problematic and someone's feelings are hurt, it can't just be, I didn't know. I didn't mean that first attend to the fact that someone was offended. And there's a lot of examples of this, but it happens a lot in relationships. So remember, there's, there's three steps to a true apology. We apologize and notice that you're going to hear there's work on all sides because we're in a relationship, which means we're all in it. Apologize, then we forgive, and then we move on. But we need a true apology, which is about the person taking accountability and saying sorry, right? So they apologize, but the first they own it, and that's dealing with the impact. I know, you know, I did this thing. I ran over your toes right? And I'm sorry. They apologize and they say, this is how I'm going to do better. And that's always the three prong part of an apology, acknowledging and owning what you did, saying sorry, and then talking about how you're going to do better. Right? But then the important second step is the person who's on the receiving end, the harmed or offended person, you have to step into, I forgive you. Thank you for saying that. Now that doesn't need to be immediate. And, I'm, and this is really about less severe kinds of issues. I'm not talking about larger issues where someone's been psychologically harmed, physically harmed, traumatized, and a trauma-informed perspective understands that the victim doesn't need to forgive. I'm talking about contexts where it's two people, both of them are mentally healthy, both of them truly care for each other, they know they care for each other, and they trust each other. And then when someone does something like forgets their birthday, drops their favorite plate and breaks it, says something they didn't mean, then we step into this process where the person apologizes, they take accountability, they let you know how they're going to be better, and then you have to work on forgiving that. Because part of being in close relationships is the willingness to repair, and repair is required from both sides. And then we talk about moving forward. But that's the thing. You don't have to. But if you want to, if you want to continue this relationship, the person who has harmed you, and again, we're talking about lesser or less severe forms, smaller forms, they're also looking to see how safe you are. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. TCM says, hey, Dr. D, I'm going back and forth with my friends over this summer and our summer plans. I think that we should still kind of chill and maybe not go to the places that we, I'm sorry, I think that maybe we should chill and not go to the places that are open all the way. 
They think that since things are opening and we're all getting vaccinated, that we can try to plan the best trip ever. But I think that this is probably going to be an argument for a while. Is it common to feel like this? Uh, yeah, because again, just because local legislation or state legislation or the country, depending on what we're talking about, uh, decides that they're opening up, that doesn't mean it's safe. You can see places with high numbers of infections and rates rising, still not mandating masks and opening up to full capacity. You need to be smarter than that. You need to follow the guidelines of places like the CDC. Now, the CDC is not without fail, and they are still political, but they offer good recommendations, and they're still saying only be around people that are fully vaccinated, and that means both, and they've waited the length of time, and that still is not 100%, and uh, don't be around crowds. So I advise against it. I don't think it's worth it. I don't think going out to party or to whatever you need to do is worth the risk of taking an infection to someone else or you picking up an infection. I just don't. I think we can hold off. We will all be fine waiting longer. I, I really advise that. So. I would say find something that is more localized so you're not traveling, uh, make sure everyone's vaccinated and do something outdoors. You know, go to the beach, uh, mountains. So it's really about the people around you. Are they vaccinated? But again, if you're going to a space that is all the way open and there's tons of people there, well then I'm already worried because I don't trust the mentality of people that are willing to go indoors around crowds of people. That tells me that these are people that are risk takers and risk takers take risks. And I think that that's too much, but that's up to you. But yes, to answer your question, as you specifically asked, is it common to feel like this? Yes. And just because they're comfortable and willing to do that, that doesn't mean you have to. This is an example of where sometimes our friends and the norms within our social circles aren't necessarily best for us. So if you're not feeling safe about it, say, y'all go do your thing, have fun. I'll check in with you and maybe I'll do something with you in the fall or the winter or next year. But yeah, I think it's too soon. I don't think you should be around crowds and I don't think you should spend long-term periods of time indoors. I don't. If you're vaccinated and they're vaccinated and you know that, you can spend time indoors around those specific people, but you're not going to catch me vaccinated in a restaurant that's crowded with others. God knows what they've done, what they haven't done, if they're anti-vaxxers without a mask. Because that's what happens. If you're eating or drinking, you don't have to wear a mask. Even when the fork is down, you're still not necessarily wearing a mask. And I know individuals post-vaccination that have gotten COVID and they're miserable. So, and I ain't trying to get that or be a long hauler myself. So it's up to you, but I wouldn't do it. And kind of, I guess, let's make a larger lesson of this to the other people. Don't pressure your friends to do things that they're not feeling comfortable or safe doing because you can't promise them that it's okay. You can't. And you don't want to then be responsible for misguiding them or pressuring them and coercing them. And then they go and something happens, right? You can't promise that's going to be okay. You can't promise that all is well. And just because one specific location has laxed rules or regulations, that doesn't mean that it's okay. So that's my advice around that. But again, I'm a public health professional. I'm taking things cautiously. I'm following the rules and regulations. And um, I'm looking out for the impact these kinds of things have on others, you know. Because uh, personally, I want this all to go away. And the longer we all follow the rules and regulations, the sooner this all goes away. But it's these little gray areas and loopholes that allow numbers to spike. California is doing great. 
Um, the United States is doing far better. I know we're hoarding vaccines. That's absolutely disgusting. And I'm grossed out that people are trying to make money and holding on to the patents and the formulas. Again, we need to think more of a collective consciousness and responsibility. And people are literally dying and companies are wanting to make money and holding on to patents. That's disgusting. The United States has some places that are throwing away hundreds of unused vaccinations. We should be donating those. If people don't want them, we should be giving them to those that do, you know? All right, y'all coming up next, we're going to talk about how to get the kind of sex you want. And then, uh, some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMS on our Loveline IG page. And if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going over to wearechannelq.com. So stick around y'all. We'll be back. You are listening to Loveline on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about one of my absolute favorite topics, not just sex, but getting the kind of sex you want. I love this topic because I think sex is such a great entry point for finding out so much and, and, and working on ourselves and working on our partner and our relationships and our relationship to our body and our relationship to communication and our relationship to vulnerability and our trauma comes up. There's so much in there. It's such a vast constellation of all of our psychological work and wounding. And um, for, you know, the way culture has set it up is it's a very vulnerable, uh, anxiety-inducing aspect of ourselves. Even couples that have been together for a very long time still struggle to really fully and authentically step into their total sexuality. We've talked about this in the past where even, even before we get to our partner and our partner's response, we're still just within all these cultural systems that make it really hard for us to honestly even know who we are sexually, right? Like we have gender norms that are keeping us trapped or fearful of being ourselves, right? We have sexism. We have respectability politics, which say if you're a mom or you're a professional, you can only be sexual in these certain ways. Then we have slut shaming, which is about people saying, I'm anxious with the kind of sex, or the amount of sex or the partners you're choosing. And so I'm going to label you a slut or, you know, psychological sexual abuse under the guise of calling things that are unfamiliar or strange sex addiction. There's so much to work through. We have ageism where people don't acknowledge that older bodies are sites of sexuality and eroticism as well, right? We have body shame where based on our body shape or size or someone else's, we really challenge or decide whether or not, you know, they also participate in sexuality. And then we have disability, which is in there where we really de-eroticize differently abled bodies. All of that is what we're constantly up against. So it's like a, a marvel that anyone's able to step outside of that and actually have the kind of sex they want. We also have this new thread that I'm, trying to kind of call out more, which is a sense of like people pleasing, where even if we've ignored or done the work of those other factors, we still want to be seen a certain way. We want our partners to be happy. And a lot of people's perspective on sex is how their partner felt about them as a partner, right? Not really just checking into our own experience and saying, how did that feel for me? How did that feel for my partner? Because at the end of the day, sex should really be about, was that pleasurable for me? Was that pleasurable for you? And nothing else should matter but we're so obsessed with orgasm. We're so obsessed with, with, obsessed with the way our genitals function. We're obsessed with penetration that we think that those are the only ways to be sexual, right? And we really have this mapped out trajectory or narrative of what the steps are and what's meant to happen or needing to happen, right? And none of that's honest or true. It really should come back to, was that good? Who am I, right? And And really having good sex or having honest sex is often about messing with, queering, disrupting these patterns 
these limits, these ongoing steps where it's always step one and I already, already know what step two is and I already know what step three is. It's really about stepping outside of that. That's where authenticity lives, outside of patterns and habits and the same ways that we always do it. So that's always the first entry point. As I say, you know, honest sex would always look different, right? Because we're in a different mood, even different partner by partner, um, month by month, week by week, year by year, as we're kind of adjusting to the changes and we're really staying in, in honesty. And, and that also has to allow for a lack of sex, right? Like sexual honesty, sexual authenticity, sex positivity, sexual health and wellness sometimes means the lack of, because sometimes it's not something that's important to us. Sometimes it's not something that's meaningful. Sometimes it's not something that can really be expected or sought out. And we talked about that when we were talking on another episode about sex positivity, that that doesn't always mean the presence of or seeking. Sometimes it means the allowing for the opposite, avoidance of, right? Or taking time away from, whether you're working on trauma or you're working on the kinds of partners you choose, or you're working on really developing more confidence in yourself and your body or in your sexual interests, right? And we've talked about all the different ways that people can be sexual. Some people are solo sexual, more geared told towards sex with themselves and not towards partnered sex. Other people are geared towards maybe non-monogamy and shouldn't enter into monogamous relationships because they realize that the more they get to know someone or uh, the more intimacy that's built, the less sexual desire they have. And we call those people fray sexual, where the more committed they get, the less sexually interested they are. And those are people that usually should have more open relationships. Some people just like more creative sexual diversity. doesn't mean they have an intimacy disorder. It doesn't mean they can't commit. They can relationally, but sexually they're better off in something more open or something more poly where there's a multitude, right? So Sexual health and wellness isn't always just about how much sex you're having. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be kinky, right? But we think that. Sometimes it's just about truth, and sometimes truth means less, right? Or pausing. It's okay to put a pause on sex. Although, I think generally in our culture, we need to be having more of it. A lot of us haven't really had enough to have learned about who we are and what's possible. The more experience we have, the more we learn about ourselves. And there's developmental milestones that really do need to be reached. And those are experiential. There's, those are just not theoretical. No other area of, of developmental milestones do we hope are, can be resolved or met with just theoretical discussion. We want you out there actually internalizing and, and employing and implementing and learning and growing. And that means utilization. And so sex and having sex should be part of that. We're going to take a little break, but when we come back, we're going to keep talking about how do we actually have the sex we want? Authentic Sex. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back, y'all, and we are talking about how to get the kinds of sex you want. Oh, everyone thinks these are things that are easy. They're natural. Sex is natural. No, it's not. There's nothing natural about it. What we do, how we do it, where we do it, how we feel about it, all that is socialized animals are the only ones that are doing it naturally. They don't, they don't step into any of these concerns. How do I look? How do I sound? What will people think about me? Will I still look like a good mother? Am I being wife material? They don't think about those things. Will someone think I'm gay if I'm hetero, if I do this? It, it, they don't get caught up in all of that. It's quite fascinating, right? But as humans, we make meaning. We have social norms and values, laws and restrictions. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm opposed to that. That's very important. Consent. It's, it's quite unnatural. It's very socialized. And so that's why we get so hung up. So that's always the first entry point. What is your narrative on sex? 
You know, we have to look at the kind of upbringing we had. There are sex positive families. There are sexually traumatic families. There are sexually anxious families. And all of that will start us off. If your family's sex positive, you're no problem talking about it. You're familiar using the right languaging. Uh, your family probably is open talking about the right words for anatomy and, and masturbation and acknowledged gender fluidity, sexuality. That's what we really want to give kids is that great sex education where they understand all that's possible. They understand that they're okay either way. Sex negative families are the families where sex is talked about with different words. We'll say things like down there, that part, we're not confident. We don't use the right languaging. We imply it's bad or it's wrong or it's shameful, right? Kids internalize that. And they're sexually traumatic where it's sexual traumas. There is no boundaries. There's inappropriateness. And all of that is how we first enter the sexual world. And remember also our first sexual experience for a lot of people is generally masturbation, sex with themselves. And we're taught to do it secretly, privately, and quickly. Don't get found out. We're not taught to take our times to enjoy ourselves, to focus on pleasure, right? It's something we rush through and that sets us off. The messaging from our family, then whatever cultural religious messaging you get, right? And we have a sex negative religion, sex negative culture around that. Absolutely. And then your experience of yourself sexually. And then God bless it. If you're gay or trans or bi, you have to step into not seeing that normalized value to legitimize. And in fact, quite the opposite in a lot of environments. We're seeing the anti-trans laws being passed, homophobia. So it's like all of that is what you take with you as you step into these developmental milestones of figuring out who you are sexually and entering into like partnered sexuality. We have to work through all of that. And that's why we're always systemically trying to dismantle that. But then also individually, we have to look at where do these parts still exist in me? So take a minute. Are you sex positive? Are you very comfortable talking about sexuality in all its various forms? Are you comfortable having your body touched everywhere? Do you get hung up on what your gender permits or doesn't permit? Do you get hung up on what your sexual orientation should allow or not allow? Or are you just authentically sexual? Start with that. Where's your work of where's your work rely, you know, lie around that? What narratives do you have? Is sex bad? Is is something taken from us if we have sex with someone? Because that's that horrible virginity myth. That that it's taken from you. You let that person do that to you as though there's loss, right? So we have to work through all that. But you have to first start with where do I have shame? Where does shame lie? Right? And and work on that. What kinds of sex am I against? What parts of my body am I against? Or touching with others, right? Starting on resolving that shame. Then we have to learn about who we are as our sexual beings, and we do that by having sex with ourselves. What kind of pornography do you like watching that tells us a little bit about our sexuality? What parts of our body do we most enjoy having touched? What are the things we think about? Those really start to flush out this vast constellation that is our arousal template, our true sexuality. What, where, when, why, and how. When we're masturbating, when we're fantasizing, when we're looking at porn, what are the things we like to see? What are they doing? What are they wearing? What parts of their body? What kind of scenario? Is there power play? Like all these different facets start to direct us to understand who we are, what we might seek, and what we might want. And that becomes kind of like your bucket list, your wish, your wish list, your true sexuality, and that should be the goal, right? Then we have to look at our partner choice, our husband, our wife, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, are we having sex with people that make and help create a safe space where we can be our, ourselves? Or do they shame us? We want to stop having sex with people. I don't care if it's your husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever it is. We want to stop having sex with people that mock us or shame us, that shame our body, that shame, us, that shame what turns us on, and start having sex with people that are more sex positive. And if you're already in a relationship, you have to say that to them. I want to feel confident in who I am sexually. I need to be able to ask for what I want. It doesn't mean you have to say yes, but I need to be able to at least step into who I am and feel okay about 
about that. And so again, we're moving away from having sex with people that make that an unsafe space to truly be ourselves. Because again, we're trying to learn about who we are sexually and find ways to bring that in and bring that forward. And we'll talk about what that means, but masturbation, solo sexuality, fantasy, pornography, all of that really gives us our most honest understanding of who we are sexually because we don't have to consider others right? We don't have to consider what we can actually um, access or not access, right? This is beyond what's possible. It's just truth. But then we do have to find ways to actually implement that in the real world. And that becomes how we choose our partners, who we choose. And even with people in hookup culture, I have them practicing it on these apps and in hookup culture. If someone's asking for sex you're not interested in having, say no. Learn how to say, well, that doesn't sound hot to me, but here's what does. It's called sexual negotiation skills right? Or even sexual empathy, where someone's expressing what's hot to them. We don't shame them. We don't mock it. We don't say, ooh, we just say, that's not for me. Or we say, here's how I would be interested or willing to step into that. Again, sexual negotiation, sexual courtship, sexual communication. That's what I do love about hookup culture is people get to practice these things, standing into their confidence, setting no, saying no, setting boundaries, disappointing people, being disappointed, right? And also learning about new things that they weren't uh, necessarily familiar with or previously aware of. And that's why, again, the more sex we have, the more we get to practice this and learn about ourselves. The more we get to have new body type shapes and sizes and scenarios presented to us. And that's why it really is about engaging in that, you know? Um, when we come back, though, we're going to keep talking about ways to really do this work of getting the kind of sex you want and authentic sexuality, which is always a mental health issue. This is a huge key component of us feeling just generalized self-esteem and self-worth, right? Um, and then after that, we'll be uh, sliding in those DMs. If you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. So stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about sex, how to get the kind of sex you want, how to get honest sexuality. Gosh, the two past two seconds, we've been talking about all the different forces that we're up against. You know, that early environment, that early environment's massive. It really lays the foundation for how comfortable we are with ourselves, how desirable we feel in our body, in our sexual interests, right? That early environment makes us feel part of and normal or makes us feel marginalized and ostracized right? And then we step into wider culture, religion, and maybe the norms of our local community. Is it homophobic and transphobic? Do we have religion telling us that certain things are bad or wrong, right? Um, and we have our social circles that maybe are slut shaming or quite the opposite. Maybe it's a really healthy, sex positive, queer community that's like, look, it doesn't matter your gender or sexual orientation, explore. I would love for everyone to explore being with all different genders. There's nothing wrong or bad about that. We should all step into that. People are realizing more and more that they're more pan or fluid or bi than they thought, right? And that, you know, these things aren't necessarily a 50, 50 or 100%. They might be 90% something, 10% other. But we step we step into these different environments and that's how we learn about it. And so it's a really valuable process, but we're learning how to find out by sex with ourselves, who we are and what we are and what turns us on. We're figuring out ways to communicate that hookup culture gives us a really beautiful way to start practicing asking and confidence and setting boundaries and being disappointed. I love people practicing those stages of courtship and, you know, sexual experimentation. We all, we all need that. You know, and that's why I tell people delay serious committed relationship as much as possible. Really get out there and practice different relational dynamics and gendered partners and forms of sexuality. And then you're at your most honest and robust. And then when you finally choose a partner, I'm going to really 
place more value on, on you knowing who you really are and choosing someone who knows who they are. And I'll be more willing to buy into what you see as compatible and, and having chemistry. But we also want to stay curious and open. Remember, every time we have a new sex partner or even sex with our current partner, based on whatever's going on in the day that week, it, it could and should change. And we get to learn about different elements of ourselves, right? Like, our sexuality is an open system and it's always absorbing experiences around us. We we find a body that walks by us arousing we hadn't before. We go home and look at pornography that mimics or matches that. We start to build that in. We have sex with someone who really turns us on and via them and how erotic we find them, we experiment with something. We have a willingness that we didn't maybe with prior partners and we realize, wow, in the right context with the right person, this thing that I didn't think was hot, I now do. It's always expanding and open and growing. It's phenomenal. But again, we get so hung up on thinking our sexuality is just gender choice. And once we determine we're gay, bi, whatever it is, we think our journey's done. And it's like, oh my God, not at all. And think of that in terms of film, music, sports, cuisine, travel. You, we're, there's no limit. You, you go out and try new kinds of food and realize, wow, I do enjoy that kind of cuisine or that spices. Or you hear an artist you hadn't heard before and you realize, wow, I can now understand why some people enjoy this kind of music. That's my entry point in. And you do a little more exploring and you build it in. But we need to stay curious. We need to stay open. And that is part of this. You have to be confident enough to go on those journeys, right? Um, also, again, really having sex under this wide umbrella that sexuality is about so many things. It's not necessarily involving our sexual anatomy, which actually is your entire body is your sexual anatomy because your entire body has capacity to be engaged with in sex play or to drive pleasure. But I mean your genitals as we define them. Sex doesn't always have to involve those. Sex doesn't always have to involve penetration. Sex doesn't always have to involve erections. Sex doesn't always even have to involve orgasms. Sometimes it's sex for our partner. No, that you might say, I'm not interested in penetration, giving or receiving, but I'm open to performing oral on you. I'm open to watching you masturbate or to masturbate next to you, right? Sometimes it's something that we do for our partner and it's only about them. Sometimes it's about us. Sometimes it's about both of us, right? But we have to expand that definition because there's going to be times and I want people to be willing to understand that just because I'm not interested in, in, interested in one thing doesn't mean sex can't happen because that's what happens sometimes. You know, sex is brought up or we're approached and for whatever reason, we're not feeling comfortable in our body. We're not feeling comfortable with whatever the dynamics are. And we somehow think that that means we have to just completely lean out. And that doesn't give us the opportunity to lean in and to find the elements that do feel good and make sense to us. But if we're going to be in monogamous relationships, all of this work is mandatory because your limits are your partner's limits and they're limited by your limits. And our limits tend to not be true limits. Our limits tend to be just based on how, the kind of family we were raised in, our gendered stuff, it tends to not be our true limits, right? And that's a journey we wanna go on to really figure that out and learn that about ourselves. And I just wanna close by saying that again, good sex or healthy sex or authentic sex or being sex positive, again, doesn't necessarily mean these really over the top, kinky, diversified, creative things. In fact, it could be the opposite. It could be very vanilla. For some people, it could be very patterned. It could be rooted in a lot of habits, but at least do the work to know that you're giving your partner and yourself your best self, right? And that you've done the work. Um, not everyone's willing to step into that because a lot comes out of that. And um, I think it's a really worthwhile journey though. And it's something I try to build into my work with whoever I'm working with clinically because sex tends to find itself showing up in all these other domains. Anywho, 
Uh, coming up next, going to slide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, always confidential, always anonymous. Drop it in the uh, DMs on our Loveline IG page. We're here for you. That'll be coming up next. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. And uh, before we get to the DMs, I'm just looking at some of these cuckoo viral stories. The CEO, did you guys hear about this last week? The CEO who harassed a teen for wearing a dress. The jerk followed him around going on and on and on. Like, dude, shut your mouth and walk away. Then I'm looking at the New, the New, York, uh, the New Jersey educator. <laughs> I can't even speak. The New Jersey educator who threw beer at people and filmed his wife's tirade. Uh, I'm sorry, the New Jersey educator throws beer at people who filmed wife's transphobic rant. What is wrong with people? Like, mind your business. Who? Why are people following and verbally attacking individuals that are living their lives? You know what I mean? Mind your business, you guys are gross. Uh, and then they wonder when these things go viral and people hold them accountable and their businesses are like, we're offended by what we saw you do. We don't want to be associated. You're fired. They're shocked. Wait, I'm not allowed to say transphobic things and throw my beer on them. You don't want to still employ me. You don't want me to associate with their company. Shocker. The CEO. You mean if I see a boy in a dress, I can't chase him around all night bullying him and, and psychologically abusing him and I'm going to get fired and held accountable for that? Shocked. <laughs> Like y'all been warned. You've all seen the warnings. If you act stanky, we're going to get it on film and hold you accountable. Don't do that. You know, we all know that the way we build tolerance is by, is by being intolerant around those that are intolerant. So we do need to hold accountable and speak up. The studies show it over and over. That's how we handle that. You socially stigmatize repugnant behavior. That's how we use, that's how we use shame and stigmatization positively. People that are being oppressive or violent, we have to be intolerant of that. Because to be tolerant of them actually allows it to, to maintain. So we do need to not be tolerant of intolerance, 100%. All right. Time to slide into those DMs, y'all. Sliding into the DMs. Tonight's DM and the DMs as always come from our Loveline IG page in the DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in there. Whatever you're wondering about, we got your answer. So uh, drop it in there. Take advantage of it. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I know that separation anxiety with people is a thing. But can you feel it with pets as well? I feel like if I am away from my dog for a long period of time, I legitimately feel nervous and worried and need to go home to check on him. Yep, yep, you nailed it, you can. A lot of people have separation anxiety from their pets, even from objects. We psychologically have the ability to attach to anything and things can become what we call a transitional object where they become something that uh, contains us or forms a relationship with us that meets the need that something else might meet and it will until we find that. So rough example, some people that uh, feel lonely and are looking to make friends or date might overly utilize something in their life as a way to be a placeholder until that needs met uh, in a better way or a more full way with something else. And it's appropriate to have that. We need that. You know, and some people found that during the pandemic, they felt lonely and disconnected. And so they were watching a lot more television or engaging in different, you know, their relationship to different things changed because it kept them company. And I'm so glad that we have what we have. Some people, television or social media has kept them company while they're, they were apart from or disconnected from people. And I'm glad that they have that. And pets, you know, are a real relationship. And so some people that will always be the case, that their pet will always be very important to them. I think that that's beautiful. Pets are really helpful for people's mental health and loneliness and uh, compassion building and intimacy. And I think it's great that you have that. Um, and so don't worry about it. Don't let people put that down or mock that or challenge that. That's fine. 
you know, just make sure though, that it doesn't get in the way of you forming relationships with others because, uh, friends, family members, if you're dating or in a relationship or, you know, at some point get into one, that person might not always want, um, to have the pet coming first. And so it's about finding ways to let all the important things in your life kind of occupy the right space. So, but congrats. I think that's great that you have that. I've told a lot of people during pandemic, if you think your post pandemic life will still allow and support the pet, go get one, but make sure that your life post pandemic can still include the pet. Right. But uh, for a lot of people, it was really important. It kept them company. I loved having my cat around me, having energy, having movement, having someone there, you know, it's been a great thing. So yeah, props to you. All right, y'all, that is our show. If you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. Look for my face, scroll down, click on it. There they are, post, binge, and share. And if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. Hope you guys spend your weekend focusing on a rest, as much pleasure as possible. Set those boundaries, put your phone away, and uh, tons and tons of self-care. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out, and you enjoy the rest of your night.